Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Camera Brooks Podcast Above and Beyond special episode. So last night, my colleague Rob Davis interviewed five recent Camera Brooks alumni, those who attended the August 2021 Career Conference, um, all of whom have already accepted a position. As a matter of fact, yesterday before this call, uh, the last person on the call had accepted a position. So they all accepted a position. And so this is a fun one. We do this after every conference, but it's a fun one because it gives those who are attending a conference or considering attending a conference, a little bit of a peek over the fence, if you will. And, and looking, you know, hearing some very fresh perspective from people who literally just went through the conference follow-up interview process, accepted an open position, accepted an offer, and then now are waiting. It's a very euphoric time of life where you're, you're, most officers, all of these folks are on terminal leave. They're not going into the military anymore, either the Marine Corps or Army in this case, that was the two classes of officers that were on this call. Um, and they've, like again, they've accepted a position and they're, uh, they're doing house hunting and they're thinking about the future and they're lining things up. So it's just a, I love this, these episodes because it's just a great peek behind the curtain, if you will, on some very great perspective. And so what Rob does in the video is he spends maybe 15 or 20 minutes talking about the conference itself. So he, he gets into the results, the average number of interviews and how many people there were and the types of companies and jobs and acceptance rates and really kind of gets down to business and the nitty gritty of some of the facts, figures, statistics from the conference. And then from there, he brings in um, five different military officers from a bunch of different backgrounds and experiences and guides them through a little bit of a Q&A. So some of the questions, you know, what was the biggest reason why you partnered with Cameron Brooks? What was the biggest surprise from the conference? Um, one thing you did in preparation for the conference that you felt like was most beneficial? He asked, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently leading up to the conference? Um, how have you grown professionally through this process? Um, so he really kind of gets down to the heart of a lot of the questions that that many of you might have and just hard to ask because, because it's all future. And so it's hard to exactly know what it's gonna look like for you. So I think that's very helpful. But then the other really helpful thing he does, he opens up for a Q&A. And so uh, folks that attended this um, uh, webcast live um, threw out some of their own questions, things like what caught you off guard from the conference? What was the interview follow-up interview process look like from a, you know, going out to dinner with some of the hiring managers and decision makers? Um, and then kind of what type of questions did you encounter that was maybe similar or different from the conference? So it gets to the follow-up interview process a little bit. Um, there was a little bit of a discussion discussion, discussion on salary um, and negotiating and things of that nature. Someone asked a question about remote work, couple of different questions about location and how to use location to your advantage in the search. Um, there were some question, there was a question about timeline and start dates and what that might look like. Someone asked the difference between virtual versus in-person interviews. Um, 
And one of the final questions was, how did you prepare for so many interviews? The average number of interviews was 13.1 at the conference. How many, how did you prepare for so many interviews in such a short amount of time? So a lot of ground covered, kind of very broad in nature, but covered a lot of ground in a relatively short amount of time that allows you to have some good insight on what's to come in the future. So I appreciate you hanging in, listening to this podcast. If you want to know more about Cameron Brooks, check us out on our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Pick up a coffee of PCS to corporate America. There's over 80 years of military officer transition experience in the pages of that that book. Uh, Super helpful to those that are wanting to know more about preparing to make the transition. All right. So without further ado, here's Rob and his conversation with some recent alumni. Okay. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name is Rob Davis, and uh, I am a principal and transition coach here at Cameron Brooks. And on behalf of, of, uh, of Cameron Brooks and uh, the alum I have on the, the call today, I want to welcome you all to this webcast, which is basically kind of doing a little bit of a, uh, a review of our most recent August 2021 uh, career conference. So I want to thank you all for, for being a part of it. And um, i got a few slides here, and this is kind of the agenda we're going to follow. So I'm going to kind of cover some of the statistics, you know, some information that hopefully you'll find useful, some numbers, some data to let you know kind of how the conference went down, the results in those things. Um, then we're gonna hit, um, talk about some of the companies that attended. It won't be an all-inclusive list, but just give you a flavor for some of the companies that were in attendance. Uh, the types of positions, um, sample candidate schedule, if you will. And um, what's the why in all this, kind of what, why we're doing this webcast. And then I'll, I'm gonna introduce the alumni and we'll be able to kind of do a live Q&A a chat, if you will. Um, so the average interviews, number of interviews, is always a, a question we're always asked. It was 13.1 uh, interviews per per officer. So all the folks that attended, we had 35 uh, officers in attendance at the conference. The average interviews was 13.1. So the range, though, was everything from seven all the way up to 15. Uh, so we had ran a pretty good range, but the average number of interviews was 13.1. The meeting, the mode, as you would guess, uh, was essentially about the same as the average, real close. So pretty tight shot group, uh, if you will. Now, if you kind of follow the statistics, so January of 20, we averaged 13.2. So this that's a pre-pandemic conference, you all, right? So if you look at 13.1 to 13.2, we're kind of back to pre-pandemic numbers. And then if you look, kind of follow the trend, April, right? The, the height of the pandemic, meaning the, kind of the height of the uncertainty. This thing just hit the economy lockdown, and so we were averaging seven and a half interviews. Now, relative to the, to the economy unemployment at that point in time, we're just sitting around 14, 15% was still a really good number, but not near what our pre-pandemic average was. And then as we kind of started to get a handle on what this thing was doing, how it was affecting us, how we could still operate in, in the economy, the average interviews went up to 8.2. In August of 20, went to 9.9. Then we saw 11.5, 11.5. 11.5, so we're kind of hovering around that uh, that 11 and a half, but, but back in double digits. And then June, we hit 13, and now August 13.1. So we're seeing this trend back in the uh, in the right direction, you all. And frankly, that average number of interviews probably could have been higher. Uh, for the first time, at least since I've been here and, and been at Cameron Brooks for almost 11 years now, we were at, uh, we actually turned companies away. We had to say no to companies, something we've really never done before, but the demand is just really high out there. I think for a couple of reasons, I think one, 
companies were a bit light. As you look at this, the number of interviews, they were light last year on their leadership hiring. And so as the economy has, has resurged, as we've seen an uptick in, uh, in you know, consumer demand of things, uh, you know, companies are kind of getting back to full swing. They've learned how to operate in this kind of new norm for the time being. There's a, there's a need. There's a need to lead change. There's a need to lead operations and help the company grow. And I think that it's been a big resurgence in that. And so we really could have had probably close to 17, 18 interviews if we really wanted to do that. I think all the alum will attest that's probably not something that they wanted to go through. I think the number they had was plenty. Um, and this is a, a, a key statistic. 100% of the companies that are in attendance, and we had over, over uh, you know, 50 hiring groups in attendance pursued officers after the conference, so 100%. And another statistic that I didn't put up here though, is 100% of the, of the officers that went into the follow-up process. And we had one that, that did not uh, due to a, a personal issue, but 100% of the officers that went into the follow-up process earned offers. The last two conference pursuit rates. So a pursuit rate is defined as, you know, out of those 13 interviews, how many of those interviews did the, the candidate, did the officer convert into a positive outcome? Meaning the companies expressed further interest in moving forward in the follow-up process with them. So in, in this case, in, back in June, it was 71.3%. In August, it was 72.6%. You all, that is, that is two of the highest pursuit rates ever, ever seen. And I think it's a testament to one, the companies were committed to pursuing and hiring. This was not, we don't run job fairs. This is not meet and greets. These were pre-arranged interviews with actual open positions they wanted to fill. And they had a strong need to fill it. It also says a lot to the officers that attended this conference. They were extremely well prepared and they're able to convert those interviews into, into yeses. And as of like right now, when I first kicked off, which is what I was doing just to confirm this, um, we had 94 offers have been made and 32 out of the 35 officers have accepted positions. We have one that's outstanding right now uh, and he's gonna be making his final decision by the end of the week. So we will have a placement rate close to, if I do my higher math on my phone here, be about 94% placement rate. So again, a really tremendous outcome. It's a testament to all the officers and the companies. And we average almost 2.7 offers per, per candidate. So averaging almost three offers you know, per officer, which again, really, uh, really fantastic outcome and, and, and a testament to all that participated. And the average days to placement you all is about, was 11 for this conference. That means from the time that the conference ended to when officer accepting positions. Historically, that's about 18 working days normally. But we found, and something that you know, we didn't necessarily account for initially when the pandemic kicked off, but we've seen that trend continue, is the average days to placement have been hovering around that 10, 11, 12 range. Part of the reason for that is companies are able to move quicker. There, there's less, we have probably about 10% or so, maybe a little bit higher of the follow-up interviews being conducted in person. Now that is an increase because in 2020 it was zero. And in 2021, in January, April, June, August, we've seen a little bit more of that willingness, you know, probably due to the vaccinations and some other things. But there are follow-up interviews being conducted in person, but with the majority still being done virtually, it takes less time to coordinate that. People aren't having to hop on planes and travel as much. So it, it goes very, very quickly in the follow-up process. So companies, like who do we see come, right? So 
uh, I'm, I'm putting them kind of up a little bit at a time. So, you know, Corning Inc. If you've never heard of Corning, they're a 170-year-old material sciences company, material being glass. They're famous for, you know, basically uh, creating the glass for Edison's light bulb. They make the glass for the Hubble telescope. You know, then invented fiber optic cable back in 1970. Have you ever seen Gorilla Glass being advertised? That's the company behind that, right? So they came from a variety of, of engineering and team leadership positions. EY, you know, Ernst & Young, one of the leading consulting firms uh, in, in the country and internationally. Abiomed, which is a leading medical device company, um, uh, came for, for sales positions. Eurofins is a French-based, about a $5 billion uh, diagnostic testing company for food and feed testing, clinical diagnostics, you know, COVID, as you can imagine. Um, and we had companies like Berry Plastics, uh, very global, which, you know, they make a lot of product that eventually goes into um, end products that we use. So they're a plastics company, Conagra Brands. So if you ever uh, had uh, Peter Pan or uh, Slim Jim, you know, one of the leading CPG companies uh, in, the, in the marketplace, Edgewell, the CEO of that company uh, is a Cambrix alumnus. So if you ever use Edge Shaving Gel or, I think, you know, Banana Boats and some other products like that, you know, those are all, um, those are all the, um, the uh, products they do in that space. Uh, Eli Lilly, one of the top um, global pharmaceutical companies, you know, I think ranked 15th uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the world, uh, came for a variety of team leadership and engineering roles. And then we had some other, you know, Motorola Solutions, one of the top communications companies out there, especially for first responders and those things came for finance and engineering and, and team leadership and, and supply chain roles. Next here, Energy, an alternative energy company uh, based in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, MCOR, which is a building constructions and, and facility services company. The CEO of that company is a guy named Tony Guzzi, who is a, uh, a West Point grad. Pact of Evergreen, one of the leading uh, package uh, packaging companies in, in, the, in the nation, in the world. So if you're walking to a Starbucks and look under your cup, that could be a, a package evergreen company or product rather. Um, and then Hydrogen Struggles. I think this is one of those unique companies. Like Hydric is a company, they do C-level recruiting. So if you're trying to find your next CEO, you know, CMO, COO, Hydrogen Struggles is a company you would leverage as a retained recruiting firm. Think of it like a consulting firm for leadership. Productivity, uh, similar spaces, EY, with a more of an IT consulting firm. And then Mars Inc., with their pet care division, one of the fastest growing divisions, also came recruiting for uh, a few different positions. So I just put a handful up here on, on the slide deck. I could probably go through five or six slide decks to show you all the companies, but more so just the variety. Right? We have everything from you know consumer packaged goods companies to consulting firms to alternative energy to pharmaceutical uh, to medical device. Uh, to, to professional services. Um, again, just to kind of see the variety of the opportunities that were presented at this conference. And this is not unique to the August conference. This is typically the variety we see at all the conferences, trying to offer the, the, the candidates that come to the conference the, the chance to do a really good, broad career search. So they can really find you know, the very best opportunity. And I forgot to mention this earlier, when we get into the, the Q&A with the alum, um, we're going to do a, uh, you can type things in the chat box. So if you want to type some things in now, they'll kind of be sitting there, but we'll, I'll get to them as we go. So you can do that and I'll make sure I, I address that, or you can wait until we get to the Q&A part. So a few of the position titles, a lot of this won't give you a lot of context, but again, it's more to show you the variety of the opportunities we saw uh, at the conference. So everything from injuring manager roles to field clinical specialist, which is a sales position, associate brand management uh, role, 
uh, product owner in automation, pricing deal analyst, application sales engineers. So that's kind of working with the sales teams and the customers as a, as a kind of a technical uh, expert, you know, business development, project manager, Six Sigma black belt positions, senior manufacturing managers. So here I just picked a handful, but it, it's showing again, we're talking about you know, engineering space, you know, team leadership, you know, business analysis, professional sales. So all the career fields are represented um, in the career search and the conference. So this is, uh, I don't think this was anybody's scheduled in an alum. It might be. If you, if you recognize it, you can let me know in a minute. But this is just an example of um, an interview schedule at the August conference. So the big thing here is not the nuance of it, but if you look at you know, kind of the way it's organized and structured. So you've got, I'm going to use my, my highlighter here. So again, you've got the company, right? Here's the company right here. You have the job title that came to recruit for. And the way, by being virtual, you know, we included a, a link that the officer can just click on, it would launch into the application, whether it be WebEx or Microsoft Teams, Zoom, Google Meet. Those are probably the four most prevalent that we see. But you can kind of see the, you know, the way the schedule works. So this, this one was, you know, Conagra brand for brand management, Eurofins for, for a business analyst role, Messer for a sales engineer, Lamb Research Corporation, you know, a wafer fab, you know, Silicon Valley-based company for engineer. Tamco, which is a building products company for a six sigma black belt. I mentioned Hydrogen Struggles, Motorola for an engineering role, you know, Corning Advanced Optics, EY. You know, there's a company called Drone Seed, which is a really cool company, about five years old. The COO of that company is an alum of ours, and they use drones for reforestation after forest fires. Came for a program project management role. You know, another couple more divisions of Corning, G3 Enterprises, that last one on the right-hand side. That's the logistical arm, separate company, but the logistical arm of Gallo Winery. So again, you can, you can see the full dance card here. A lot of interviews taking place, and you can see kind of the way it's set up. And then this is another one. I just picked one more, just again, kind of show different variety here. So now we've got different companies, Biotronic Medical Device Company, J&J &J for supply chain, um, Stryker, another leading medical device company, and they came from like an IT project management Um You've got, you know, again, different divisions of Corning, you know, MCOR for a project management position. Again, the names of the companies aren't what I'm trying to highlight here. What I'm trying to highlight here more is just the variety of things that every officer got to see. You know, get a chance to interview across different career fields that are, again, matched with their background, their interests, uh, different industries, you know, different types of roles, different locations. So, again, they're doing the true career search. And again, you know, what's the why in all of this, this piece is one, for a lot of you that are gonna be coming to an upcoming conference, whether it be November or January, it's kind of do our best. In a perfect world, we kind of have you come and shadow or watch a conference. We can't pull that off, it's not practical. Um, but to do our very best to kind of give you the glimpse behind the curtain, to let you get a peek for what this thing really is all about. We try to be as clear and transparent as we possibly can. Um, in our interactions with all the officers we partner with, you know, but we can't, we can't do hundred percent of it just because it's, it's logistically impossible to pull off. So this, why we started doing these kind of after action, if you will, webcasts is to kind of do our best to kind of give you that glimpse behind the curtains. So you can kind of see things. So, you know, this is, uh, this is Chuck Alvarez. He's our CEO. Chuck's been here for, I'm um, probably going to butcher probably over I think, 26 years now. So Chuck's job is really working with the, the companies. You know, he owns the company, he runs the company, but his day-to-day -day job is really blocking and tackling on all your behalves, 
to help corporate America really understand the JMO background. And he does a lot of coaching, a lot of briefings at the conference. He's very integral, as I'm sure all the alum on the call can attest, uh, in kind of their strategy. You know, there's an earning offers trying to help them think through the decision process so they can really make a good decision on the next on the next chapter, if you will. That's Mary Lou. This was she was kind of holding up her her, her uh, day three um, when we did a little bit of the campaigning on social media. So Mary Lou has been here really since the founding of the company for close to 50 years. Um, she's an integral part of the, of, of the, uh, of the company. Um, she's a principal like myself, and, and she's very involved in the pre-conference, conference, and post-conference follow-up process as well. So those coming to a conference will interact with Mary Lou quite a bit. Um, this is my, my colleague, a senior vice president and, and partner at the firm with Chuck, Joel Junker. So this is you know, Joel kicking off the conference on Friday night, kind of giving his uh, uh, his uh, recommendations for how to start preparing for all the all the briefings and all the the interviews. And then you know this is actually the room I'm in right now, on that one side of the curtains where we did a lot of the briefings. And this is the Friday session when we're kind of going through everything, ready to kick the conference off on Friday night. So that's just a handful of us. You can't see the rest behind the room, but a little bit of the behind the scenes of what's happening, if you will. And as we get into the um, the alumni panel, which we're going to do here in just a second, I'm going to introduce everybody kind of virtually. So first, I'll, and, and I did this alphabetically, so I didn't want to you know, show any favorites or anything like that. And I just did it by alphabetical. Um, so Hunter is going to be one of our panelists. So Hunter is a uh, soon-to-be former Marine Corps officer, uh, San Diego State economics major, was in the program for about six months, and he just accepted today a position with Medline Industries. And so, I'll, uh, Hunter, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And, and next, we've got Brandon Henderson. So University of Delaware, political science, Marine Corps intel officer. Came in the program right kind of last minute a little bit. And Brandon had to do a bit of a spin up and a drink from the fire hose. We did a fantastic job. We just accepted uh, a role with Ernst & Young in a consulting position. We've got Corey Kirk, West Point, class of 12, engineering psych major, helicopter pilot, uh, over, over a year in the program, and, and just accepted a position with Abiumed. Uh, they have a junior officer leadership development program on their sales track that he's going to be going into here. We've got Chris Neff, also Academy grad, environmental sciences major, uh, Army Air Defense officer, program just over six months, and just accepted a business development role with, with NextTerra Energy. And we've got, uh, we've got Zoe Wiesenhut, so NC State International Studies major, Signal Corps officer. Again, relatively short time in the program, she just accepted a uh, a consulting position with uh, Hydric and Struggle. So you've got five alum here on the call, all going into very different things as they, as they launch the career. So really excited to have them uh, participate here on the, on the call. And so let me start with this. Um, and so Corey, I, I just got you in the upper left-hand screen here. So let me kind of start with um, one, just what was your main or biggest reason for, um, for choosing to partner with Ken Brooks in the first place? What led you to that decision? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, it came from a personal recommendation. I had a lifelong friend, Chris Broderick, who went to uh, <clears throat> the January conference. And uh, we talked about it over a year ago and said, hey, Corey, there's a path I'm going. I think it might be a good fit. So I did my own research. And, and as I was looking into it, it just seemed like a win-win sort of situation. Um, I knew I was going to walk away with a skill set for life, you know, being ready to interview, something that I, I hadn't done before. Um, it was all going to be free of charge. You know, the, the JMO doesn't pay out of pocket for this experience, which is, is pretty sweet. 
Um, you get hooked up with a great resume from Danielle and the team. So also pretty amazing. And then uh, I was going to, oh, and then just the structure. I love the structure of the DPP. There was this program that I knew I could, I could start with chapter one, work through to tab five and, uh, and really walk through the whole process and, and the team would be there with it. So those are kind of my main reasons for going with it. And it was, it was a great fit in the end. Right. Yeah. A couple of things that one, if anyone ever asked the question, we get asked a lot, like, you know, how, how do we generate revenue, right? It does not come, you know, from the officers. There's no charge to the program uh, for the officers to participate. The way we generate revenue in full transparency is when an officer accepts a position with one of our client companies, that company pays us a pre-negotiated percentage of the officer's first year salary. So it's not coming out of whatever Corey is going to get paid. Um, we're not taking anything off the top of his salary. It's coming from a completely separate recruiting budget, but that's how it's based. And uh, and you mentioned alum. I think it's one of the best ways that that we really find really good officers is through referrals and those things too. I think when you hear it from someone that's been through the program and all of a sudden there's some legitimacy, it always seems to help a little bit. Uh, Zoe, how about you? I know you came in the program you know, you know, within a couple of months, but what led you decide on partnering? Yeah, so I also came into it from a recommendation actually from a senior officer whose brother had done the program years ago, like decades ago, um, and had gotten a really great job. And then as I was talking to some friends, um, they were mentioning some other people from my ROTC class who I you know, was not in touch with, but they said, oh yeah, they're doing one of those agencies. I think it's called Cameron Brooks or something. I, I kept hearing the name pop up in various places. So I knew just from all of those different references that it had a really excellent um, reputation. And I personally was feeling very overwhelmed with the transition process and also not very confident about my ability to go into the business world with an international studies major. I mean, you know, what am I going to do with that? So um, I just knew that Cameron Brooks was um, a company that could help me navigate that and support me through it. Um, And, you know, like Corey said, it, they have a really great structure that helps you navigate everything. Okay, perfect. I appreciate that. And I'll throw uh, just that same question out one more. Chris, how about you? What was what led to your kind of decision to, uh, to to partner with Cameron Brooks? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. So same thing. I had a few buddies, one from school and one when I was in my captain's course who went through the Cameron Brooks process. And they actually like referred me. And I think Cameron Brooks actually reached out to me first. And I like went through it while I was deployed and just kind of looked into it. And it seemed like a really good fit. And, and I think the biggest draw to it was me was the interview prep. Like I hadn't done an interview since I was a, a senior in high school for my congressional interview. So it'd been well over 10 years. And it was just like, it's like, like Corey was saying, the structure and just, just making sure I had that, like a planned, you know, like time proven approach to how I was going to transition into the business world. Yeah. It's one of the only things about the military, you go through a commissioning source and you just lo and behold have a job when you, when you finish, right? There's no interview process. So it is definitely a little bit unique. So Brandon, let me come down to you. So what was the, what was the biggest surprise at, at the conference for you? Uh, I think just the, the amount of interviews uh, and just how rapid fire they were kind of took me off guard. Uh, we talked about it and I, I knew it was coming, but then just having like that 15 minutes between some interviews, just, okay, get a sip of water, uh, set up my notes, make sure my stickies are okay. And then starting the next interview kind of took me off guard. And, uh, okay. I did yeah. well enough, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you're doing 13 interviews over a two-day period. There's going to be a little bit of that, of that piece into it. You're right. Hunter, same question for you. What was your biggest surprise at the conference? Yeah, I'd say my biggest surprise is how conversational these interviews really are. So I've been poking around, exploring the fire service a little bit, in addition to 
my search with Cameron Brooks initially, and it had some buddies put me through some mock interviews with uh, the fire side of the house. It's very, it's unemotional. It's very pointed questions. There's no feedback. But when you meet with these people with these companies, uh, there's a lot of like facial expressions. There's a lot of dialogue. You might talk about the company for five minutes and just talk about your hobbies and your interests for 40 and walk away from it. Like, man, I didn't talk about anything that I bring to the table. And you get a follow-up college because they like your personality and kind of cut of your jib. Uh, I was kind of impressed and surprised really how conversation really was throughout the entire process, really with every single company I interviewed with. Yeah, it's funny. I, I hear that a lot with feedback because even though we say, and we, we, we say it up front, hey, these are going to be mostly conversational. I still, still think it catches people off guard because I think, they think it's like it's a, it's a military board or something. Um, but the companies really do that. I know you all know this now, but everyone listening, the companies really do more of a conversational style because it really is about fit. Now, part of it's the fit, you know, can you do the job? Do you have the competency to do the job? Now, one, we're not going to put someone in an interview if they don't objectively meet the criteria in the first place. And there might be some questions to further gauge that fit, but a lot of it's fit for the company, the culture, the people. And so if you're working off this very scripted list of questions, it's really difficult to kind of ascertain that that kind of cultural personality fit. So that's why companies do more and more of this kind of conversational style, if you will. So back to you, it's kind of the same question. What was your uh, biggest surprise? I think my biggest surprise was that there were a number of interviews where they actually didn't ask me a whole lot of questions about myself. They were more kind of selling to me in a way. Um, and that was something that I was prepared for because um, you, Rob, had actually like prepared us for that in one of the sessions beforehand saying, you know, if if they're talking the whole time, like you need to take the initiative to tie what they're saying back to your experience to make sure that you still take an opportunity to prove your fit for the company. So I was prepared for it. I was just a little bit surprised. And the other thing is they, you know, each of the interviews that went that way, at some point they made a comment about how they had worked with Cameron Brooks before. They had hired people through Cameron Brooks and all of those people had been extremely successful. So I think that just goes to show that you also have the reputation of Cameron Brooks behind you when you're going into these interviews. You still need to work for it, but um, it's a comfort to know that you have that really strong backing. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think we had, and I don't have the count in front of me, um, I think we had 25 or 26 alumni that attended this conference as, as a hiring entity on that. And I think it's always a great testimony when you've got folks that come through the program, were successful, and they, they continue to pay it forward um, and want to come back and continue to kind of grow their, their team through, uh, through this unique, unique path. So, um, and you're right. And, and when you get, uh, and, and companies also, especially ones that have been before, they understand that you're not interviewing with just them. So there's a bit of that salesmanship part that Zoe mentioned on, on the, uh, on their effort, which does surprise people sometimes. Um, so, you know, Corey, tell me one thing that you did in your preparation leading up to the conference you felt was most beneficial, paid, paid good dividends. Yeah, of course. I, I can't stress this enough for the, uh, the 30 plus participants who are, are listening here, but study groups, study groups, study groups. Uh, for me, that looked like three months out, uh, partnered with, with one other guy, um, eventually we brought in a third and we just said he was in the same time zone as me. We said, hey, every Sunday, every Thursday, we're going to get together for an hour to two hours. And we're going to, th we started by throwing questions back and forth to each other from tab five in your, your DPP. And then, and then uh, about the two month, one and a half month markout, we started making it more conversational, trying to get in the mode of being an interview and interviewee and, uh, and having those openings, building that rapport 
because uh, in the virtual environment, you got to build rapport. And so there's going to be hand signals, face gestures, a lot of stuff that just wouldn't come naturally over a screen. So um, we harped on that and then went down to about three times a week, kind of ramped it up when we were about two weeks out in the final sprint. But if I could attribute, you know, what success I did have, it would be to the study groups definitely there. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure if I asked the raise of hands, how many of y'all did study groups on the, on the panel? Yeah, everyone, everyone did something, right? So, and that's an invaluable piece, especially if you're, if you're watching this and you're coming to November, you know, guys start engaging in that now because we, we do basic workshops, we do advanced workshops, we do small group mock interviews, and Pete, Joel, and I do one-on-ones. But, you know, those are, those are basically almost like um, validation efforts for the work you're doing in between those sessions. Those study groups are invaluable. And what's nice about, again, we've all kind of had to face this with the pandemic, you don't have to get together in person. You know, and we, we help facilitate putting people in the same time zone. You can do this virtually anywhere. Literally, you don't have to go anywhere. You can be in the confines of your own of your own home, and, and there's really no logistical difficulty in doing a study group virtually. And it, and especially with as long as the virtual conference continues to take place, which it is right now, uh, you want to practice the way you're going to play, and and that's uh, that's an important part. Chris, same question. What's one thing you did in your preparation that you felt paid big dividends for your at the conference? I'd say the same thing as Corey Rob uh, starting a study group with uh, two other guys about. Oh, three months out, met once a week. And then about a month and a half out, started to ramp it up to two to three times a week. And then about four weeks out, about three to four times a week with one of the guys. And I just, I just attribute that a lot to the success of just kind of getting into that. How do you actually have a conversation rather than just, you know, going down the question answer. And, and it really just helped formulate, like I have basically five, five strong examples of what I've done and throughout the army that is really, really, related to the business world and those five strong examples, how can I tailor that to each individual question? So I really attribute that to a lot of the success that I did have. Yeah. I think that also surprises people. The reality, how many of you show of hands probably told the same two or three stories over and over again, all of your interviews, right? You don't need to have 15 accomplishments. You're better off having you know, three or four really good ones that depending on the way you tell the, the story, you can morph it to fit whatever it is you're actually interviewing for. You know, I said, you're better off having, it's like, it's like going in a boxing match. You're better off having one or two really good punches than like 10 or 15 ones that, that, uh, that aren't very good at all. And, and that pays big dividends. So Hunter, let me ask this question. What converse to that one? What's one thing, knowing what you know now on the, on the, on the back end of the conference process, what's one thing you might've done differently in your preparation leading up to the conference? Yeah, if I was just doing it differently, I definitely did a lot of work with self-assessment and then interview prep with the study groups as well. If I was doing something differently, I would have done a little bit more research into uh, some of the jobs and some of the functions that you guys talk about. So your team leadership, your business analyst, engineering, uh, sales. I would have I would have really dove into what the actual jobs are inside of those. So I don't think I had a really good idea of what the individual jobs and those responsibilities would be. I kind of knew which ones I wanted to do, but that's kind of where my understanding of those job functions really ended. So I would have liked to get a little bit more into the, the details of what the individual roles and responsibilities of those various jobs might be. I think it would have kind of guided my follow-up process a little bit better because I found I was having to do that on the back end a little bit more while I was trying to weigh out and make decisions. And it was, it was challenging. It was very stressful. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing that and it's kind of couples what you said, Hunter, and what Corey and Chris said. You know, when you get in, in DPP and additional preparation, there are information sheets. 
And there are several on in each career field, you know, team leadership, engineering, business analysis, professional sales. Those can absolutely should be, as you get closer to your conference, those should be brought into the study group. So now you have a, you have a backdrop, you have context to, to practice interviewing off of. Plus it also kind of, you get a chance to read real world job descriptions that companies have come in the past recruited to kind of give you a little bit more of, of that depth and, and detail. Brandon, same question I asked Hunter. What's one thing you would have done differently knowing what you know now in your preparation leading up to the conference? Uh, I definitely would have joined Cam Brooks uh, earlier on. Uh, I think I, I ended up with a, a very short fuse. And as a result, I only got to read uh, the PCS of Corporate America and then only two additional books. I was, I was lucky I got to read one of them, but I thought the books helped me a lot just kind of transitioning the mindset from speaking Marine Corps jargon and just using all the acronyms in the world to kind of speaking like you're supposed to speak in corporate America. And I think if I had started the partnership earlier, that would have benefited me a lot more. Okay, that's fair. Um, and again, I think Brendan and Zoe as well, it's a testament. Look, the average time officers spend in our program is about 11 to 12 months. That's the average. So we have some folks that will be in this program for years and some folks for a few months. It is still very possible to make a successful transition. As Brandon put it, probably not the most comfortable way to do it, but is definitely uh, doable. And, and the program is able to be modularized based on, on the timeline and, and it can be streamlined as needed too. Um, let's see, one of the questions I want to throw out here, uh, and Zoe, I'll throw this one to, to you. So how do you feel like you grew professionally or personally the most through this conference process? Rob, I think um, one thing is I just got used to talking to people in different industries. Um, when you're working with a study group or doing the workshops, you know, you're practicing kind of how to answer questions, how to show your fit. Um, but throughout the actual interview process, it is very conversational. So you get the opportunity to ask them questions and you get to hear about their experience. Um, so I actually learned a lot. I had 14 interviews in two days and I feel like I just soaked up so, so much information from that. Um, and I also got some insight into kind of what, you know, the recruiters talked about what they saw as, as being some of the things that made them successful. And so those are things that I'll be able to take with me into my next job. Great. Chris, same question to you. How do you feel you grew professionally, personally through this conference process and experience? Uh, I would say, on, honestly, Rob, I didn't really know what I wanted to do until the conference happened. And then I, like I said, the, the position I even ended up accepting, like it was like a perfect fit. It was almost like Cameron Brooks kind of knew my background better than I knew myself. Like, I, like you said, I was an environmental undergrad and the position I accepted is with a renewable energy company. So it was like, it was almost like something that I didn't even know I was looking for. And I just kind of like the opportunity presented itself. And I really kind of discovered it through the interview process, how, how passionate I actually was about it. So that's a good uh, that's a good segue to my next question. I'll just let you continue on with this answer. So tell me, why did you of all the how many interviews did you have total, and why did you choose NextEra? Uh, I had fifteen interviews total. Um, I chose that company for a multitude of reasons. One, a lot of it was just the company mission, like the values, just coming from the army. That was, that was something that was very important to me. Was the climate, the organization, where it was going. Uh, the position as well, like being a project manager, it's something that, like I'm very interested in. It's something that I've taken a lot of pride in doing in the army. And uh, I think also just what really set it apart was, you know, just, just how well everything seemed to fit, especially the culture of just like everyone that I talked to in the company, even people that weren't really hiring me, like, you know, I, I did a follow-up, I was fortunate to do that. 
and and just just the the climate of the people who weren't even involved in the hiring process seemed very very positive and optimistic, and it, it seemed something that just was right in it, a good niche for me. Perfect, Corey. How about you? Why did you choose Abiumed? Yeah, um, similar to, to Chris going next there, I, I chose Abiumed because it was a mission and uh, that really uh, impacted me. Uh, they're they're working in cardiology in a space that I'm passionate about, and they've got a unique mission set with uh, heart recovery. And as I did my research and dove into it, it was the one that was so easy for me to, to go online, talk to friends and whatnot, because I was so passionate about it. Um, the culture is a big thing, too. And you, you'd be surprised. You don't think you can tell a culture through a screen and, and talking to people. But when you have 45 minutes and then I also got three follow up interviews with some of the, the C-suite there at Aviomed, I got a real good feel for the culture, even if it was virtual. And it seemed to fit what I, a team that I want to be a part of. Um, and then lastly, just seeing the, the correlation to what I had done in the military as a company commander and even in my staff roles and stuff. And I could continue to use those skills at Abiomed. And that was something that was important to me. So ultimately, it, it made it the top choice. Gotcha. Zoe, how did you struggles? What led you to choose that company? Rob, I think um, one of the main reasons was the variety in that type of work, because I'm going to be working with all of these different companies and trying to find candidates to fit them. Um, so every day is going to look different and I'll have several projects going on at one time. Um, so that that really works for me. Um, there's also, you know, after talking to so many people throughout the follow up process, I got a really good sense of the culture as well. Um, and I've met some of the people that I know I'm going to be working with when I start out. Um, and I just had really great chemistry with them. Um, so it was, you know, a good fit in that way. And then also just, you know, it's an engaging type of work because I'm going to be talking to people and kind of studying them in a way, um, and listening to their experiences. So I know that I'm going to find that to be very enriching because I'm going to learn a lot from it and it'll be very energizing. Great. You have to come back and teach me some recruiting then when you get all that, uh, all the experience under your belt. And that's a good point too. And, and, and um, you know, we're going to do an audio version of this too. So this won't translate on the audio, but show of hands, how many of you, the majority of your interviews were with the people you would go to work for or with? Yeah. And, and that's really also the difference between, you know, job fair versus their career conference. The vast majority of the people, every one of them are decision makers, but the majority really are the hiring managers. They're not professional interviews. These are people that you're going to go directly to work with and, and work for. So, um, Hunter, Medline, I know you made that decision today. I know it was not an easy one because you had some, like everyone on the panel, had some decisions to make. And uh, why'd you choose Medline? Yeah, definitely uh, used all the time available. I pushed it right to the decision day and kind of wrestled with it for a good amount of time. Um, ultimately, with Medline, um, I, I, a lot of my other job offers were really in the lane of team leadership. And obviously, as an infantry guy, that's something I've done a lot in my time in the service and kind of in the interest of being well-rounded. I wanted to kind of step out of that skill set and build, build somewhere else. So I took a sales representative role with a team over at Medline, one to build new skill sets, just something I set out to do with my partnership with Cameron Brooks. And then two, I, I really appreciated the urgency of the position because a hospital needs medical supplies every day. So in my particular job, a Medline truck is going to show up at one of my accounts every single day delivering uh, medical supplies. And I know for myself, one of my weaknesses is I tend to procrastinate if something's far off in the distance or in the future, I don't really prioritize and push it off. So I think it kind of complemented my skill sets of when something's urgent, I really press on it and get it done. 
And really with my current job, with my future job, excuse me, that's going to be every single day is going to be, it's going to be urgent. The hospital's going to be in need of those, those resources. And it's my job to find ways to get it to them. So it's ultimately what really made my decision. Right. And Hunter, I know when, when you and I first talked, when you first came into the program, we talked a lot about you know, the career field fits. And I know that you were gravitated towards team leadership initially, because again, that's a lot of what you've done. I think that right there is a testament to doing the search, right? Being open to the different career fields, because what it, what it does is it either reinforces what you thought you may want to go into and do, or it really opens your mind to see, hey, well, this may be of higher interest. Hey, and, and you kind of through the process and the process works, you found what ultimately is going to be the ideal fit for you. So that's great. Congratulations. And Brandon, EY, what led you to decide on, on going to work for Ernst & Young? Uh, so I really like the, the scope of the company, how they kind of have a, a hand in, in helping major financial institutions throughout the world. And the finance isn't something that I did uh, in any point of my background. I wasn't a finance major before. So it was something that I thought was important. Uh, I knew I'd be able to have a new hand in and I knew it'd be challenging. I knew it was a job that I'd have to, I'd have, to have a, a pretty steep learning curve in, in figuring out what was going on, what was what. Uh, so I liked the challenge of that aspect. And I also thought the consulting world would be the most similar to, to my job as a staff officer. It was really similar to what I've done uh, in my entire Marine Corps career. And I saw it as some comfort while doing a lot of things in a, in a new sphere for me. Great. Okay. So I'm, I've got one question I want to ask you all, but I'm going to save it to the, to the end here. So let's kind of open up to some of the questions from the, from the audience here. I'll take the first one here. And, and that's, I said the average was seven to 15. Why did that person have seven? Well, a unique situation. That person had some personal reasons why they needed to be in a certain geographic area. Uh, we we're able to kind of talk it through. We kind of they, she she come to the program kind of late, so we kind of knew the companies and the locations um, around the time we talked to her, and we were able to help facilitate the search. Not, it's a little bit unique. Not always can do that, but that's why it was seven uh, was the reason. Um, so I'll let uh, Corey, how about this one? So during the interview process, was there anything that caught you off guard or something you didn't feel you were prepared for? Yeah, uh, for Alex there. Um, it's a good question. You know, there wasn't one specific question that, that jumps to mind. And me and my study group tried to prepare for some of the one-off uh, questions, but a lot of them kind of were just conversational. They would flow. Doing the interview prep from tab five helped. Uh, you would use some of those answers and just mold them in the interview, but they're not going to probably follow it word for word exactly what Cameron Brooks has down, but uh, absolutely start there and then just go with the flow once you're in there. Um, during one of the follow-up interviews, I will say I had a, a, a follow-up where it almost looked like the individual, uh, one of the hiring managers was trying to convince me out of the job. I think he was just trying to test my resolve. And that was, it only happened once, but I did appreciate the approach he took. Um, but maybe be kind of ready for that. You know, as you go into these follow-up interviews, be uh, sure that this is a company you really want before you you kind of put it to your top list. And and going into it with that mindset helped me kind of answer these unique questions he had for me. Okay. Chris, how about you? Anything that caught you off guard or something you didn't feel you were prepared for? Uh, I would say just during the uh, the conference interviews, there were some interviews where, like Zoe was saying earlier, like I had to ask questions for 40 minutes to prove that I was even interested in it. Like, I think they asked me one question about, um, like, tell me about myself. And other than that, it was, what questions do you have for the company? Okay. And that alone determines whether or not I was going to get a follow-up interview was how, how much I could even, one, reiterate about the company, but two, prove my interest. And then I would say the other thing that caught me off guard was the whole like dinner interview process of the fact that that's a, that's not something you can really prepare for. It's not something I really prepared for very well, other than, you know, participating in military socials throughout my career. 
but just understanding that everything you do, if you do do a an in-person follow-up, everything is evaluated. And, and it's just, I would, I would just recommend do not, don't let your guard down at any point during that, especially with people conversing with you, you know, they're going to try to kind of like Corey was saying, almost talk you out of the job at some points and kind of just be casual about it. But really they, it's, it's just a test of how, how well the fit you are within the team. Yeah. I think there's two things here. I think one, as, as we do more and more in-person interviews, we'll get back to that for the follow-ups. Yeah. I always say to every, every officer when I'm doing a follow briefing, so from the time you pull into the parking lot to the, you're half a mile away, you're, you are being interviewed. Whether you're talking to the receptionist, you're talking to the janitor, it, it does not matter. You're being interviewed at the treated session. I think that part of the negative sell, I think that's what's probably trying to talk you out. But I, I do think that companies try to paint a very honest picture of their business. Hey, here's the good. Here's the bad. And yet we got some ugly here. If, if they didn't have a need for good leaders, you know, if things were perfect, they wouldn't have to worry about hiring, hiring folks like you. So I think companies want to be pretty forthright with, with what they've got going on. But obviously, you still sell the good stuff, too, uh, at the same time. Um, so let's see. So, so we take this one. So and this is probably anyone can take it. But has the current housing market had an impact on your decision to accept an offer or not? I think what they're asking is, hey, do you feel like that the, the salary range relative to where the job was going to be was, was, was in line? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my main thing for location was I want I want to move to a city. I want to be in an exciting, busy place. Um, and obviously that kind of raises the cost of living. But um, so, you know, all of the jobs that I followed up with, um, they were in big cities. And I, I'm not going to go into details about the salaries, but, you know, they were definitely like they exceeded my expectations by far. So you'll, you'll be very comfortable. <laughs> Yeah, the thing to keep in mind, you all, is, uh, as you are listening to this or watching this, you know, BH does not exist in, in corporate America, right? So that's how the military accounts for whether you're stationed in Hawaii or you're stationed in Fort Gordon, you know, Georgia. Um, companies physically change the salary. And we screen companies on salary, right? If, if, if a company we don't feel can be competitive because the salary is not going to be in line with expectations, then we, we won't have them come. We're not going to have them you know, waste time and effort on, on, for them or for anybody else. So we're going to make sure we're bringing, um, and, and the, there's a, typically a range, right? And the companies typically, they want to put their best foot forward. Hey, for this industry, for this position, this location, we feel that this is a competitive range. Now, how you stack up objectively can kind of start you off somewhere in that range. How you interview can also affect the salary that's being offered. And I've seen companies come back and offer more than they advertise. And I know they did that at this conference too. I haven't seen companies come back and offer less. You know, we don't, we don't typically let them do that. So um, I don't think anyone's doing this, but the question is anyone um, working remotely and are you happy with your location that you chose? So Chris, you're not, I know where you're going. Uh, you're not working remote. Are you happy going down to West Palm? Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely, definitely excited to go down there. I, I do know that there are opportunities of, working remotely a lot of like project management kind of travel to answer i think that's alex's question yeah i don't know if anybody else on the panel had those where they were kind of like you can live wherever but yeah this we've seen a few more of those we've seen a few more of those opportunities that are opportunity to work remote have come up because of the pandemic for obvious reasons depending on the nature of the business though some jobs just have to be you know where you're going to be um but I, I think everyone's moving to a new location correct for all of you and um, you know, the only caution I give on working remotely sometimes, and I've done remote work in my, in my career, and we had this happen to alumni that, you know, during the pandemic, like April, June conference, everything started off remote. At least think I might have moved there, but they never went into an office. 
And you can imagine you're starting a brand new company with a new industry. You don't know anybody and you're stuck in your house working. You know, that, that's a, that could be a struggle. So there are definitely positives to working remote. There's some trade-offs to working remote as well. Um, but we have seen a, a little bit of an uptick in that. But um, And just, you know, I'll throw it down to you, Brandon, in terms of your, your satisfaction with where you're going to go work. Like I know you had different locations. We've talked about your preferences. Were you happy with the locations you were, cho- you were shown and then the location you ultimately chose? Yeah, I ended up being really happy with all of my opportunities. I think there was there was one uh, position that it was with uh, with Conagra, which is in Chicago, where I didn't hadn't really thought about that location before. But I ended up putting them in my final three, uh, even though it was a location that I never really considered. Uh, and I'm really happy with uh, DCs there. I ended up choosing and very happy with that. Uh, but more happy with the opportunity, which ended up being the priority for me because there was one uh, that was in my my final three that I turned down that was pretty much in my hometown. And I turned that one down, even though that would have definitely made my parents more happy than going to DC. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hunter, I'll throw this one out to you. Anyone can answer this too, but um, how do, how do the follow-up interviews compare? How are they different? How are they different than the conference interviews themselves? Did you, did you sit in a different line of questioning? Did you, how was the flow of that? Uh, It was very similar actually for me. Um, I had five, five follow-ups. So sorry. Uh, five follow-ups during my follow-up process. They're actually very similar. Um, some of the questions kind of got away from um, just some of the screening process questions that were typically asked and were more geared towards um, like, what are you, one of my questions that I was interviewing with EY on a follow-up was um, like, what is your anxiety with, uh, with your transition? Which I was not, that one really took me off guard. And then another one asked me like, what's my biggest fear? So it's like questions that are away from their tab five, which the majority of the line of questioning was towards that. But it's it's very similar. Um, I mean, you have your foot in the door at that point, so you know you've at least um, gotten a solid footing with the companies, and they're they're strongly considering you at this point. Um, but really, the line of questioning is more geared towards you can kind of get it away from the generalities of the position and more. You start asking what like a day to day would look like, um, maybe who your supervisor would be, and kind of get a better feel for the company, especially as you push beyond that follow-up and have like an email address or like the HR manager, you can call them or email them and say, hey, can you set up a quick call? I have a quick question and just have that conversation like, hey, who's my direct report going to be? And can I maybe reach out to them? Or can you give me a LinkedIn um, name for someone who's in the company that's a Marine, a Marine, for example, that I can maybe talk to and talk about culture? So some of those questions that you can't really ask per se and you don't want to ask in the screening process. Uh, you can ask in the, in the follow-up process, and those might be asked of you as well. And Corey, how about you? Same, same question. Yeah. Um, if I had to compare the difference between the two, the follow-up, they might ask you, hey, tell me about yourself, the, the same intro question. But after that, it's going to get deep into questions coming from you. So a lot more research intensive. That's why you'll, you'll break it down. You won't follow up probably with all your, if you have, you know, 14 follow-ups, you probably won't follow up with all 14 just because of the time commitment to get ready for those. Um, but it's a fun process to go through and really kind of deep dive and get to know the culture. A lot of what Hunter said, true too. And, and my advice to, to those out there in the chat is um, through the whole process to include the follow-up, listen to Cameron Brooks. They know what they're doing. Um, I'm on the back end, so I, I own nothing here. So it comes from the heart, but uh, I truly did just kind of trust the process that, hey, I'm going to get this one follow-up brief on Sunday in the conference. And I guess that'll be enough to, to get ready for the next steps. And that kind of surprised me. I was like, eh, I feel like I should dedicate more time. But it, it happened naturally. Uh, I felt plenty prepared, um, but I just needed to come with a lot more questions prepared. Sure. Yeah. The, the comparison I always, I always 
typically give is like, you think of the conference like going, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, right? You're interviewing 14 different companies, all these different people, whatever have you, versus when you get the follow-up process, now you're going an inch wide and more of a mile deep because now you're going to have multiple interviews with people that work for the same company. So they're going to expect you to come better prepared. That's why we do follow briefings. That's why you have more time to, to do that, uh, to do that preparation on your own. But that's, that's a good point. Um, here's one a question just popped in. So in the offer acceptance negotiation time, how does the transition time compare to the date of the listed with offers being accepted so quickly or companies looking for faster turnaround time start dates? So, so you all have finished your conference process, your career search. Some finished just today, like Hunter, some of you guys have been done a little bit quicker. Um, like, Chris, what's your start date right now going to be with uh, with NextEra, just as an example? I don't have one yet. Like I said, like, I think what people like like Mitch, I think, is the one who put that question, is they forget the whole background check process. And, you know, every company has has a bureaucratic nature to it, too, but after the after the offers and all that. So, you know, it's kind of it's tentative. And as far as my hiring manager, they're very open. It's yeah. kind of like, hey, when can you start? And, and it's kind of like they want – They'd rather me be fully prepared coming in on day one and, and fully committed to the company than show up three weeks early and really still have to settle my, my affairs and my family and all that. So it's very open, but the, the expectation is when I show up, I show up. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, and that's probably predicated, the like, question probably comes from a lot of what we're used to in the military. And that is, hey, drop your bags. You're going to the field. I don't care if you unpacked yet. I don't care if your family settled. You're, you, you get here like yesterday kind of thing. So companies, when, when you show up day one, they want you to be mentally and physically ready to go to work. So they're, they're going to be somewhat flexible on that. If you want to get started quicker, great. But there, there's a window, right? So for, for those of you that came to the August conference, it's probably going to be sometime in October, probably not pushing too much in November, but the companies are going to work with you to, to establish a start date and, uh, and I think most companies, um, any, any of them talk to you all about like doing a house hunting trip first to go find a place to live. Is that those conversations started to happen? Okay. Brendan, do, do you have a date set? You're going to go out and try to find a place to live? Uh, so I actually got an offer for a house hunting trip from a company that didn't accept their offer. Uh, okay. But for EY, they pretty much told me, hey, you can't start any earlier than a month. So take however much time you need and then uh, just give us a date that works for you. And okay. So that, that, that worked pretty well for me where I'll have plenty of time to do that on my own now. All right, good, good. Yeah, this one comes from, from Nick. So Zoe, for you, anything unique to the virtual process that caught you off guard? Um, I would say, you know, there were a few cases where there were glitches. Um, one of my interviews kind of like they lost connection. We eventually reconnected and it was fine. Um, so those things will happen just be prepared for it, be flexible. Um, and just remember that the people interviewing you are struggling just as much as you are with this technological virtual working world. So um, they're not gonna hold that against you. And the other thing is, you know, just work on your setup. Um, you know, I, I bought like a cheap ring light that I'm using now and you can see, you know, how much of a difference it makes. So. I, you know, just make sure you put a, a little bit of time into your setup and then you'll be a lot more comfortable throughout the process. Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially when you get into when, when Corey mentioned and Chris, the study groups, when you get a chance to start getting into study groups, pick the place where you're planning on doing your interviews from at the conference and then practice that. It's like playing a sport. If I'm going to go, you know, play a football game, I'm going to, I'm going to actually practice on the field. I'm going to play, you know, you want to get very accustomed to that. You get more comfortable you can you know, understand all of the nuances. You can kind of see the changes in the lighting depending on the time of day. So the more 
as soon as you can kind of pick the place, if, if you're doing it virtual, that you're going to do it at the conference, practice it that way. Use that in your study groups as well. Uh, Chris, I'll throw this one at you. So basically the question says, you know, from, from Joe here, like, on your schedule of 15 interviews, did, do, we, do we mess with you and show you a whole bunch of things in like middle of nowhere, Iowa, or were they in line with your location preferences based on what we had talked about? No, no, that no, was, you know, yeah, coming into Cameronbrooks, that was my uh, my wife's one stipulation was we had to get back to a major metropolitan area, like like Zoe was saying. And every every single one of my interviews was very much in a major metropolitan area, like no further than ten minutes outside. So I I was very happy with all of them. I I would yeah, like I said, I, I was very open with location though. So and I think a lot depends to answer that question really specifically, Joe. A lot depends on what the location preference is. Right. If, if the preference is, hey, I just prefer a metro area, that's one thing. If the preference is, I want to be in Rhode Island, that's a whole different discussion uh, that we have to get into. So it's, if it depends on if it's more regional or if it's more like you know, population based or those things, too. But I, I, I don't think anyone on this panel will say they, did, they weren't shown opportunities in their location preference. Now, I'm pretty sure if I asked to show of hands, you probably were shown a few things that might not have been in the ideal location, but good fits for your background. Did any of you accept the position that wasn't in your location preference? So Chris, you did? Yeah, I didn't have the Southeast at all in my location preference. And, okay. and Corey, you did as well? Yeah, I'm in a unique situation. The one year of training I do before I get my location will yep. be outside of the preference. Yeah, up in there in Boston, that's right. You know, and I, and I would raise my hand in that category too. I, I was more of a Midwest Texas person when I came to my conference. Grew up a military brat, moved around a lot. I went to work in the Bay Area in California. I had not spent one minute of my life in the Bay Area or in California, period. Um, but part of the beauty of, of the search is, again, sometimes the very best fit may not be in the ideal location. But I can tell you, almost 11 years from now, I don't know any alum that I have talked to that post-conference, five years into their career, they're not living where they want to live at that point in time. So that's, that's the beauty of it. But we definitely do our best to account for all those preferences. Uh, let's see here. Huh. I'll throw this one uh, Brandon, I'll give this one to you here. So how, you know, 10 plus interviews, how do you prepare, how do you prepare for those 10 plus interviews and how, you know, maybe talk to the, 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 the briefings and things on, on Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, so uh, I have 15 interviews, so that definitely seemed like a, a huge task going into it. Uh, and the, the company little briefings you get on that Saturday and Sunday are very thorough and give you the opportunity to ask as many questions as you possibly can. And I would just say, don't be afraid to ask whatever question you're thinking of, because you can ask those questions and then you'll know whether or not that question was, was the right kind of question that you, you want to ask before you have to ask it to the person who's interviewing you. Because those interviews go with the Cameron staff and they, they're great. They're, they provide you not only just the information about the company, uh, but they also, especially if that company's been to the conference before, they can tell you what kind of questions that company's going to ask you so that you can go in with, they might think they're throwing you off with, a, with an off-the-wall question, but you've been told exactly what that question is. Now you have an awesome answer and they're blown away because they they thought they were going to surprise you. So if you pay close attention to those briefings, you can have your notes set up right before each and every interview. And then you'll, you'll know who the briefers are. You'll know some random detail about the person you're interviewing with where they'll, they might be like, Oh, you, Oh, you already knew I was an armor ranger. And they'll be surprised by how much detail you already know. And you'll, you'll get to come off as much more prepared than you may have been otherwise just from those short 30 minute briefs that you get the, uh, the Saturday and Sunday. Perfect. And uh, Zoe, I'll throw this one at you, and then I'll, uh, I'm going to throw my last question out to, to the entire panel here. But let's go from Alex. So knowing what you know now, like what what best piece of advice would you give someone coming to this upcoming November conference? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I was very prepared for the conference itself. I was not mentally or emotionally prepared for the follow-up process because I was so focused on the initial conference. Um, so fortunately I made arrangements so that I had those weeks to just telework so that I could be available for all the interviews. Um, but I would just tell future candidates, like, make sure that you have time and space to do those interviews and to have time to like focus and think about them because at the end of the day, you're going to get these offers and it's going to be really difficult to come to a decision. And when you turn down the other offers that you don't take, it's, it's going to be hard. I think, um, I think it was Mary Lou who, who compared it to a breakup. And I thought that was over dramatic when she said it, but she was absolutely right. Like it, it's going to be really difficult. So just keep that in mind, um, still focus on the initial conference, but make sure that you've got everything set up so that you can be successful in the follow-up process. Yeah, that's, that's great. And uh, Corey, anything you want to add there? No, I completely agree with, with that sentiment. Um, you know, the, the conference itself from Friday night until Tuesday when you finish your last interview at, at 4 p.m., 5 p.m. your time, it's going to be intensive. So um, make sure you're not trying to get other stuff done during that time. Pretend like you took a flight to a different hotel and you're at that hotel away from home uh, and truly treat it that way. I can't stress enough, and Cameron Brooks will do the same thing, that you have your, your safe space, as it were, somewhere where it's free of distractions, dogs and kids and everything else, because uh, it's going to take a lot out of you. Uh, to what Brandon said on the interview prep, you're going to have a sheet for every single company and, and when you're going back to back like this, that, that sheet needs to be ready for Monday, Tuesday. So you can go from one interview into the other one. You just pick up that, that new brown bomber, however else you're organizing it and, and become that new personality for this, this interview. So time intensive, looking back, I would just say kind of mentally prepare yourself. Yeah, I think it's partly a byproduct. Again, I told you they were kind of days post-conference to, to offer acceptance like 11. I think part of that is just the speed of the virtual process, a little bit of the byproduct of that. And I think to your point also, Corey, is, is again, when, when you're in a hotel, you, you tend to be you know, more myopic. You're, you're locked in because you're there at the venue. When you're doing something from your home, whatever that might be, it, it can be easier to get distracted. So it is to so find that place and that place is your workspace. You know, and you know, as best you can, free of distractions. I know some officers said, hey, I'm going to go get a hotel and I'm going to go get a room and do it that way. So however you want to do that, whatever works best for you to make sure you're locked in, that, that's the best piece of advice I can give you. Okay, as we finish up here, last question to the, to the group. Corey, I'll, I'll let you kick it off here again. And, and my question to you and to the panel here is, what are you most excited about for this next chapter of your life and career? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. And there's a lot to be excited about. This is uh, something now that I, I've, you know, I, I signed out on ETS leave a couple of days ago. I've accepted this offer. It's cool to see the, the opportunities out there. What I'm most excited about is knowing that the eight years I spent in the military and the leadership experience and, and crafting my leadership style isn't going to be wasted. That's why companies came to Cameron and Brooks. It's not a free handout. They're not coming because they, they just want to uh, I don't know, hire vets for their stats. They truly want you for your leadership experience and, and seeing that with so many companies through the process and being able to use those skills and traits I've built is pretty encouraging. And I like to provide you know value back to whatever organization I truly believe in. And uh, I'm excited to get after that. So um, probably the one thing I'm most excited about. Perfect. Chris, same question to you. What are you most excited about for this next chapter? I think the thing I'm most excited about is just learning a new challenge, learning a new industry and, and 
trying to get the absolute best at it will be in, still give you in a part of a team and being a team player. And especially, like I said, it's, I'm, I'm very excited to transition from an organization that has values to another one with values and a mission that I, that I firmly believe in. So. Great. Perfect. Brandon, how about you? Uh, Christoph, what I was going to say pretty much uh, verbatim, but I'm also excited to, to get a new city and kind of be in a new area that I haven't really been in before with just new opportunities. And, and in reality, a lot, a lot more time to just kind of, figure out what I want to be as just as an adult post military. Yeah. And which, which location did you pick for, for EY? Where are you going? Uh, I picked a uh, DC. So it's in McLean, Virginia. Gotcha. All right. Great. Hunter, how about you? What's the thing you're most excited about in this next chapter? Yeah, definitely excited to set off and build a new skill set. obviously within Medline for me, but uh, something I'm actually really excited about is I hope, um, hope at least, you know, a year, maybe two years down the line, I can find a way to uh, give back to some veterans when they're in the transition process as well. Because I know for myself, I really struggled with this, obviously coming from a very, in my mind, narrow skill set in the military, but then being able to see, do like some self-assessment and talking with some successfully transitioned vets, just how applicable a lot of the skill sets I had. And really for me, I just needed to hear that from people that have walked in my boots, if you will, uh, just to hear that there, I have more to offer than just you know, live fire maneuver. There's there's a whole other plethora of skill sets that that I've built in the military, and I hope to maybe be that person for other transitioning veterans in the future. Perfect. And last but not least, Zoe. One thing I'm excited about is just all of the learning that I'm going to get through my new job. But the other thing is, you know, for the past four years in the army, I've been figuring out what I like in my professional life and what things I don't like. And so now with this new job. I've found something that kind of narrows down on some of those aspects that I like in work um, and kind of letting go of some of the things that I didn't like as much. So I feel like I'm now on a path to finding something that's going to be my long-term career. That's great. And just to touch back on that location real quick here. So just, just to kind of show the variety. So we got the Bay area with Hunter, right? San Jose, Hunter, we've got um, DC area. Chris is going to be at West Palm beach. Zoe, which, which location did you pick? So I'm kind of in a unique position. I'm going to be teleworking for a few months and then okay. moving next year. Um, okay. And it, it could possibly be Atlanta or Boston or New York or Chicago okay, so you got to be job. determined. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and any one of those would be perfect for me. So yeah, and then Corey can be up there in the Northeast, at least for a period of time. And then uh, whatever your territory is going to open up. So again, we're clear, clear across the country on this thing. And, and you see, can see the, the, the diversity of the, of the companies that, that the panelists chose uh, in different roles. So uh, again, I want to th thank uh, Corey, Chris, Zoe, Brandon, Hunter for, for taking the last hour plus out of their schedules to, to, to help me with this. I hope it was helpful and beneficial for everyone that attended and one that might be listening to the recording on this thing. But uh, I can tell you right now, it is a good time to be making the transition. If you uh, follow our podcast uh, above and beyond on Spotify, Pandora, on iTunes, episode 130, it's the second to the uh, most recent one, our CEO Chuck Alvarez talks a lot about what's happening in the economy right now. And as I said, average of 13 interviews could have had 18 if we had brought everybody. So uh, if you're considering making a transition, no one's the one's going to make a transition and would benefit from a conversation with, uh, with myself or another transition coach. I'd love to talk to you, uh, but thank you for your interest in, in Cameron Brooks tonight. And for the alumnus, best of luck in your new careers. Please stay in touch. I know we will. And most importantly, for everyone else listening, thank you for your service. Have a great night. All right, everyone. Thanks for hanging in. I really hope that was helpful. I hope that answered questions. And ultimately, I hope, I, I hope it got you more excited about your transition and your preparation uh, leading up to a future conference. 
One thing that might have done is it might have actually generated more questions. If you have any questions and you want to meet on the phone, regardless if we're in a partnership and you're in this program or not, you can always reach me directly. You can call me on my mobile, 210-874-1519, or hit me with an email. My email address is my name, Pete at Cameron-Brooks.com. I'm excited to bring you our next episode in two weeks. Recently, I interviewed one of our alumni from three and a half, four years ago, a guy named Steve Sandoval, former Marine Corps officer. And the fun thing about that conversation was he was actually at the August 2021 career conference as a hiring manager interviewing military officers. And so we get some insight into what he was looking for and how the interviews went. So stay tuned two weeks from now, we'll drop that conversation with Steven. For now, I hope you guys have a great day.